This podcast was produced on the lands of the Bunurong, Wurundjeri and Gadigal peoples of the Kulin and Eora nations. The Pierce Project wishes to acknowledge them as the traditional owners. We would also like to pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Welcome to Peers, a podcast by BIPOC founders for BIPOC founders. I'm Michelle Akidnor, proud biracial Australian and Forbes 30 Under 30 lister, and I'm your host and fellow peer. Join me for soul-enriching conversations with like-minded young BIPOC entrepreneurs from around the globe. Each week, I dive deep into the personal journey of my award-winning guests and unpack who they really are at their core and how they got started in business. With every episode, my mission is to empower you, expand what you think is possible, and hopefully make you feel less alone as a person of colour in business. Thank you so much for being here, peers. Hey, peers, and welcome to the show. Oh, it's so good to be back. I'm actually currently in the process of packing up my life here in Sydney and making the move to the States. Yep, I'm headed to New York City, the biggest city in the world, and I honestly couldn't be more excited about it. I have been planning this for years and years and years. And finally, the time has come to actually make this move and to head overseas and to try and launch the Pierce Project in the US and drum up some business for us over there. Naturally, I couldn't be more excited, but I also just have mixed emotions right now. You know, like part of me feels so elated and so just content and at peace from within that I'm taking this risk and finally turning this dream of mine into a reality. But the other part of me just feels so, so nervous and so petrified and, you know, will it work out and will it be everything I ever hoped it would be? And will I be able to make it? Like, is this dream too far-fetched? And is taking this risk the smartest thing I could be doing right now? I really don't know. And I guess I'll find out. And I'm so excited for you guys to take a listen to today's episode because today's guest really reminded me of the value of taking risks. So today I'm chatting with fellow BIPOC founder and Forbes 30 Under 30 lister Madhavi Shankar who is the CEO of Space Basic. It's an app that helps hostels, universities, and student housing communities automate everyday communication and tasks to create a more connected environment. Such a cool business. And she is currently based in India. She's Indian, but she spent a lot of her time in Australia studying here and then decided to make the move back to India to start her business. And so naturally today, our conversation got me thinking about taking that risk and that move overseas to a different country. 
And it just really resonated with me personally because that's currently something that I'm going through. And so in this episode, Madhavi and I talk about what moving countries was like for her, what that risk meant for her, as well as the idea of being okay with not following the crowd, how to get better at trusting your instincts and really what the value is of being open to uncertainty. I really hope you guys love this one. And before we dive in and before you take a listen, I'd absolutely love if you could please hit subscribe, hit the follow button on wherever you're listening to this right now. And please do leave me a rating and review. Honestly, your support means the world and it makes such a difference when you do the little thing like hit subscribe and leave a rating or a review. I really, really appreciate it. And, you know, I love you guys. And I really hope you gain value from my chat today with Madhavi. Without further ado, take a listen. So I'm a first-generation entrepreneur, born and raised in Bangalore, India. I moved to Sydney for my master's. I worked for an early-stage startup in Australia while I was studying. And I think that's where my love for startups really began. And then, you know, I kind of I had this urge to do it on my own. I was very passionate about the education space simply because of, you know, my experience as a student in India, as well as what I had as an international student in Australia. So just kind of thinking about how could I bring something like that back home? So I always wanted to do something in the ed tech space. I didn't quite know what it was. Fast forward to 2017, I quit my job in Australia, came back to India to decide what problem I'm going to solve in the ed tech sector. So when I started speaking with a lot of universities and students and, you know, different stakeholders, I realized that student housing communities in India or Asia, actually, most of Asia now that we're working outside of India as well, have very fragmented experiences on campus in general, outside of your learning management systems or exam prep. So we really wanted to bring student experience to be kind of end-to-end digital and great. So it's very well-connected and everything is online and accessible. So we decided to start Space Basic by first digitizing student housing communities on campus. And we also digitized cafeterias to say help save food wastage. We also, you know, digitize payments and make that very seamless around campus and even access cards. So we have mobile-based, QR-based access cards, very simple, secure check-ins and then around the campus. So we digitize student experiences uh, for campus communities. Oh, so cool. But Avi, honestly, it's just so great. I think back to my university days and how much more helpful and easier it would have been if something like this existed. And look, I can't wait to dive deeper into your work. But before we do, I'd love to start with a question that I just love so much because I think it allows us to get to the core of who we really are as people and as entrepreneurs. And that question is, where did you grow up and how has this impacted the choices you've made in your life? So I'm born and raised in Bangalore. It's a city in the southern part of India. 
I come from a traditional Indian family where education is kind of the cornerstone of general upbringing. And that was kind of embedded with me and my, I have a younger sister as well. And my parents are doctors, so pretty cliche there. And we were kind of, you know, always made to think that that's what's going to give us a bright future. So having said that, we kind of always thought about it that way and we were programmed to achieve our milestones with that in mind. Now, the problem here was that I wasn't very good in school. So my grades were always, you know, not the best. I would often get into trouble with that. So I think what really changed for me is... While I was in uni, both for my undergrad in India, as well as, you know, I could draw a direct parallel to that when I was in Australia was there was not so much attention to grids than they were to finding out what could you be good at besides that, right? So I think that allowed me to kind of be more curious about what can I do. And I was able to get out of the shell of thinking that you only have to have good grades and follow a prescribed method to be successful. And what also helped was working for a startup, an early stage company. And this was before startups was a buzzword back in 2012, 2011. So back then, when I started, it was a small company, you know, where we would do everything from door-to-door sales to receptionists to cleaning up the office once in a while when we had visitors, all the way to tech support and then product manager. Product manager was my final role before I quit. So Kind of that experience really kind of set me up with the mindset of what I'm good at, what I'm not, what I could learn, what I enjoy. And I think the natural inclination was towards entrepreneurship. I loved it. I wanted to do it on my own. And I think that's how I ended up becoming a founder. It's so interesting you say, you know, that real traditional doctors as parents and, you know, like education is number one. I mean, I totally identify with that. I think my parents weren't doctors, but that idea around education being so important, you know, I think when you've got immigrant parents, it just is something that's so strong. And, you know, you mentioned that you weren't really much for the academics, Did you ever feel like you were under a lot of pressure to perform and have your grades be really high? And if so, how did you navigate through that? And for our peers out there listening who maybe are going through that right now, they're not really that A-plus student. They don't really want to be. They know they have to do school, but like, is it that important? How do I get through it? You know, what advice would you give to us around that? I think in the hindsight, when I look back, what school really is, is it sets you up for real life experiences in a way of dealing with stress, dealing with things that you're not necessarily happy with or you don't have control of. I think when I look back at it, it gives you that grit and that mindset for the future once you're out. That's how I look at it personally. But I think these days, obviously, it's more relaxed than probably when we went to school. But I think university in general, the whole grade system definitely was limiting in a way for me because as a kid, you don't know any better and you kind of end up thinking, oh my God, I'm not good enough or will I be successful? All my friends are getting jobs, they're getting placed, you know, and I can't even make the cutoff. So where does that leave me? And I think in general, women, you know, more than men have imposter syndrome and that kind of is more evident in situations like this. So I think that's what it does. But then our life is about learning and unlearning. And the quicker you can do both, the faster you would progress. And, you know, this is a part of the journey. So we'll kind of learn that as you proceed. But for me, it was a bit of a struggle and, you know, learning, unlearning. And it's great the way it turned out, though. 
It's always good in hindsight. Looking back, it's like, oh, it all made sense. What was a time for you where you first experienced imposter syndrome? Well, I think bits and pieces throughout the way. It is small things and big things add up to it. And I think even something as small as, let's say, not doing well in India, usually in undergrad, the university places you in jobs in software companies, et cetera, if you are able to crack that and you have a certain cutoff in terms of your marks, right, or grades. For me, I was just like, I'm not going to kind of get there. So that place where you automatically take a step back and say, oh my gosh, everybody's getting there. Will I ever make it? Especially when, you know, when you're a teenager, it kind of fits hard just because you don't know better. And also that's all you know as well. But I think Those are some of the things that definitely added to it, adds to stress, adds to thinking that there's no other way. And I think one of the things that came out of it was, you know, me moving to Australia to pursue my master's instead of staying back, trying to find a job. So I think that was a turning point and probably one of the best decisions. What was one of the early challenges moving to a new country and embarking on this awesome experience, but I'm guessing also quite daunting coming out here, having no understanding of the culture and how we do things. And what was that experience like for you? I think it was a bit of everything. It was exciting. It was scary. There was a lot of hope and aspirations in that process. And I think I experienced all of these emotions throughout my journey and I loved it. You know, it's so important to step out of your comfort zone and especially be on your own to really discover your true potential. And I had the opportunity to do that with this move. And it turned out to be an amazing experience and really shaped my career as well as my mindset in how I would see myself over the next couple of years. So that was a critical decision and I loved it. It was extremely fun and exciting at the same time. It often is, isn't it? Those experiences that we're so scared or nervous about end up being the ones that we just love the most. It's funny, I'm about to somewhat move to the US to take this business there. And I'm feeling all of those feelings that I'm guessing that you felt all those years ago when you came to Oz. But, you know, for our peers out there listening who this isn't on the cards for them, moving to a new city or a new country or, you know, whatever it is, and they're kind of stuck in the daily grind of like uni or work and trying to figure it out. They know that there's more out there for them, but they just don't know how to make it a reality. You know, what advice would you give to us around getting through the day to day and seeing beyond where we're currently at? This is so underestimated and we all struggle with it day to day. And I think day to day is what leads to the bigger decisions. It doesn't just happen, right? It happens because of all these small decisions and steps we take on daily basis. And some days you've just got to power through. There's really no better way of putting it, keeping the end goal in mind. And those days are the hardest. But if we are able to kind of power through, when I say power through, you just need to have grit and you just need to kind of say, all right, I understand. I recognize that I don't want to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. And I think those are the sacrifices and discipline it takes to really get to where we want to be. But having said that, things that help in that process is having a good routine, having mentors, peers, being a part of a community or having people in the same journey really helps 
kind of shared experiences and move together. So I think mentorship and grit and most importantly, really enjoying what you do. I mean, I think if you don't enjoy what you do, I mean, of course, you're not going to enjoy it every day. Some days, as I said, is you got to power through it. But if you don't enjoy it, you're never kind of going to be able to power through it. Right. And I think that is so important to really be passionate about what choices you make. And some days it's just hard. You've just got to find the right people and processes to kind of help you get through the day. When was a time where you had to find your people and I want to talk a little bit about that time where you transitioned out of work or your job into something that, you know, quote unquote, you enjoy more, which I'm guessing, you know, is your business. Talk to us a little bit about that, finding our people and then figuring out what we actually enjoy. For me, moving back to India after being in Australia for so many years and kind of deciding that I'm going to come here, just leave everything I've built behind and really, you know, start from scratch again. I mean, there is no logical explanation. That is not a data-driven decision. That is purely an instinct and gut feeling that I went with. Because if you think about it, the possibility of startups failing versus it actually being succeeding is extremely limited. And I just said, look, this is something I really want to do. I'm just going to go for it. And coming back to India, moving into my parents' house again, really starting from scratch, you know, I don't know what problem I'm going to solve, meeting all these universities. And it's a lot of uncertainty and it really questions why you're doing this and is it even worth it? Especially after you've seen the better side of life, you're just like, what am I doing? But as I said, if you really want to see something through, you just have to get through that. All you really need is one win, that first customer, that first kind of understanding of what product you're going to build, then, you know, kind of getting to that first customer who will validate and build that. And then, you know, first check, your first employee, et cetera, et cetera. So you just really need to hit these milestones and you just need to be able to kind of really have a risk appetite. And these decisions are, as I said, initially are just predominantly based on instinct and gut and then you build in strategy, etc. But it's about you and it's about how badly you want something and what are you going to do to make it happen. And it's not easy. It's not fun. But I think if you trust the process and you believe in your vision, you will see it through regardless of the outcome of success or failure. For me, that's what it was. It was extremely tough. But it was something I really wanted to do and I really wanted to see it through. So I was able to make it happen. And I think looking back at it today, I would go back and do it all over again. How do we get better at trusting our gut when we feel like we keep making the wrong decisions over and over again? So when I had to move back to India, you know, my parents were very unhappy about that decision, especially after they helped me get there for my uni, etc. But it was just something that I had to do because anybody you would talk to about it would say, don't do it. So I had to just trust myself in that moment to make this decision and not look back. I think everybody has a strong gut and we just need to really not have that validated, I would say. With small decisions as well, you know, you trust your gut multiple times, even it could be hiring, it could be doing anything, you know, minus all of the resume and all of the, you know, amazing data points. Sometimes you just go with it. And I would say that is one of the most important instincts we have to develop as entrepreneurs. And the more you practice it, the better you get at it. And I think that's something that's helped me and also having mentors and learning about how to pick up these skills and you'll never get it right. You are going to make hundreds of wrong decisions, 
but you will get better at it. When was the time where you listened to your mentor over your gut? I think there have been decisions. Usually the way we go at it is we kind of, I'll say, hey, look, this is what I think. And then we kind of validate that with pros and cons. And then finally we make a decision. Sometimes it's been right. Sometimes it's been wrong. So there's no right answer per se. There's no textbook way of doing this. Let me put it that way. So even mentors go via experiences. Experiences could be right or wrong at that particular instinct, right? So I would say having that dialogue and really validating it helps. But, you know, there's no straight answer or textbook answer to that. It's important to run it through somebody who's been there, done that, according to me, and then kind of make an educated decision. So, so valid. I want to talk a bit about the feeling when our friends and family don't agree with what we're doing. You know, I think so many of the time, at least it's happened for me, where, you know, you decide to take the path unknown and in your case, move back to India, move back in with your parents to start your business. For me, it was so similar. You know, I built this out of my bedroom in my parents' home and I moved out really late when I was 28 because I was just waiting and waiting for the business to take off for so many years. And I think so much of the time your parents or your friends and family don't understand and they may or may not support you in your endeavors. What advice would you give to us around navigating those dynamics at home and then still staying true to ourselves? Well, I think at the end of the day, when I'm not convinced about what I'm doing, there's obviously people around you who know you really well and not convinced either. So with conviction, if you are able to kind of say, look, I'm going to do this, I am ready for this. And regardless, I think our loved ones will come around. For me, I don't think I would have been able to build Space Basic without my dad's Right. I think him being such an integral part of my decisions and kind of helping me through this process. He's not a startup founder, you know, he's a doctor, but his learnings and his support was extremely important in shaping the way things uh, have become. Now, I think if I didn't have his support or him backing me on from day one, I don't think I would have been able to be in this position today. So your loved ones will support you regardless, but it's your conviction to make that happen, right? I mean, good or bad decisions, they will love you and support you, but it's really up to you on how motivated you are to make that happen. And of course, they won't understand it. You don't understand it when you're starting off. I mean, can't blame them, but got to be true to yourself and just kind of have that conviction that you're going to see it through regardless of success or failure. I always love to talk about the dark side of business. You know, sometimes I think when we look out there at social media or, you know, we see these interviews with these incredible entrepreneurs and whoever it is, and they've got fancy cars and they've got this amazing business and all these employees, we can sometimes get caught up in the image of what we think is an entrepreneur. But I want to distill that a little bit to you and for you, Madhavi, what does being an entrepreneur mean? And what have been some of the darkest times in business for you? I mean, I'm so glad you asked because what you see on Instagram is not real at all. (laughs) I'm not sure what businesses these people do, but entrepreneurship for me is not that. It's just hustle, hustle, hustle. And that's what it is. 
And even if you're able to see money, it's going to be at a later point in the journey. And for me, I didn't raise money until I was convinced that we have customers who are paying for the product. So it is a painkiller and not a vitamin. People pay for painkillers to make the pain stop. They don't care. They will do it. When you're on vitamins, you're just like, oh, it's nice to have, not a must have, right? So this was something that my mentor told me that was really ingrained, but said, you need to serve painkillers and not vitamins. That's what your product has to be. Having said that, the way we built it, and I think that's one of the reasons why we were able to kind of have the number of customers we do is because it was very customer centric. Every feature, every kind of what to build, how to build, how you would use it was was all customers were in the center of this decision-making and building process. So for us, we have been bootstrapped. My savings from Australia went into building Space Basic and we were bootstrapped. We went through two pandemics being bootstrapped and we were cash flow neutral. We didn't fire any employees. We'd had our team in place. And especially when universities were shut, it was for one and a half, two years. Regardless, our customers still kind of had their subscription on, which helped us fund our teams and ops. So we've been a customer revenue funded company from day one. And we recently raised money. But for me, that's what entrepreneurship is. It's not going and raising some money and, you know, kind of like then figuring out what problem to solve. Sometimes that does work. As I said, there's no textbook way of doing it. But for me, at least what I have learned and what I have seen through business and sustainable business models, this is usually how it works. And that's the route we decided to take. How long did it take you to figure out your business model and to make this so customer centric? Was it a couple of months? Like, what did that look like in the very early days? And for our peers out there listening who may be in that exact phase, like the building, spending all the money that they have in savings and it's just going out the window and they've yet to get a client or some money through the door. What advice would you give to us around that building phase and hanging in there? I think it's important to be frugal. You're not going to have everything on day one. It's iteration based. So what we did was we kind of made sure that we built an MVP, a very small version of the entire product that was then validated with customers. We ran pilots with them to see how they use it. Will they use it? Will they pay for it? This is a longer process than traditionally kind of raising money and running fast. Looking back, I would have probably done that if I could maybe a little sooner than I did because we didn't see COVID coming. Like Nobody saw COVID come through. And it was a stressful time to be in business, especially when you're bootstrapped and working with universities. But having said that, that also taught you how to be frugal, how to manage money, how to have very tight processes and, you know, run ops efficiently. So I think those are learnings that you would typically have never gotten. But yeah, I mean, what we did was we built an MVP. We first validated it. Both one or two customers went back. We didn't have an office space for the longest. Most teams work out of my garage. And after we got a couple of customers, that's in year two, then we kind of started moving the product in-house, hiring in-house engineers. I got a sales team. I was doing sales entirely myself and I had an intern for deployment. And then from year two or year three onwards, we started kind of scaling that up. So that's a longer process. There are two ways of doing it. But according to me, when you kind of understand this process completely, that's when you're set up to kind of scale or it's going to be a nightmare to scale if we don't understand what we're into completely. I think that's what we were able to do well. 
Was there ever a point, Madhavi, you know, maybe it was COVID and you were running sales by yourself. That is never fun. I'm still kind of, I now have someone helping me, but I did that for many years. You know, was there ever a point where you just broke down and thought, we can't do this? How are we going to get through this? It's fully bootstrapped. You know, was there ever a point where you felt you hit rock bottom? I think it was during COVID. And I think after COVID as well, like in that period, during COVID, there was just so much uncertainty. Things started looking up and it hit hard because we worked with universities, especially on campus. And that was shut. There's no business there. And just there's so much uncertainty for us to see what to do and how are we going to get through it. And I had to step back for a few days before we could figure out an action plan to like just take it all in. Then we decided to pivot a little bit. So we had to pivot in terms of our offerings. Some of the universities wanted to have this broadcasting for the entire student population, not just housing, right? Or have this makeshift kind of functionalities that could help them out. What we also did is during that period, we helped the government here in Bangalore to register COVID care centers and kind of use some of our features to help with that. We were also kind of able to run some more projects or get some more customers around this functionality. And we had to cut back on certain things. We had to scale down a few things to keep the lights on and also work on payment plans for customers who are not ready to pay upfront, like a standard SaaS subscription. So we had to work around payment plans. It's stressful for sure. People and their families are dependent on you and it's just a hard time to be in business. But I think that also builds resilience in a way. If you're able to power through that, I think you should be okay. I think after COVID was the time when we decided that we will raise some money. The market was just not ready for it. People are still uncertain. So we had to wait it out and kind of organically grow instead of scaling growth aggressively like we wanted to. But nonetheless, we continue to grow, but just not at the pace that we would have liked. But I think things are looking up. But yeah, at that point, I was just like, why am I doing this? (laughs) Literally. Why? How does this happen? Honestly, and hats off to you. I think we all, as founders during that period, were very confused and stressed. I mean, I literally remember having to take off like a solid week because I was like, I'm just not sure what this means, how effective we're going to be. Hats off to you for getting through it, considering you had to pivot your entire business for a period of time. And I think the thing I'd observed about you and that I just think is so epic is your ability to always think in problem solving mode. You always like kind of look at that positive side, at least what I'm gathering from you. I think that is such a strong quality to have for our peers out there listening who struggle to do that. You struggle to see the positives in amongst the crap that happens in business. What advice would you give to us around kind of seeing the light side or the positive side of things to help us get through it? I think running a business is problem solving. We are providing a solution for a customer instead of a group of people. It could be reducing expense, reducing time, whatever. So we're trying to solve a problem and make their life easier. Problem solving is a muscle that is built on practice. None of us have this ability as soon as you're start, but it's something that you consciously need to develop. It's not fun, but it's definitely like a muscle that you keep training. And I think as entrepreneurs, it's kind of inbuilt. We're like, okay, fine. I recognize this. It sucks. Let's move on. Let's figure out how to solve this. At the end of the day, if we're not able to do that, it's really perform a perish kind of situation. Somebody else is going to take your spot. 
or you're just not going to see things through. So regardless of our feelings and regardless of how things are at that point, we just got to recognize it, maybe kind of process it as well, right? And then get to work and have an action plan to solve it, figure it out. I think most entrepreneurs are restless until they kind of get things done and our job is to get things done. So we unfortunately do not have the luxury of wallowing in our feelings, though as humans, we tend to do that. And then you recognize it, you realize it, and you move on. That's the way I look at it. Recognize, realize, and move on. I love it. Oh, Madhavi, it's been so great to chat with you. I've had so many moments of nodding along and major takeaways for me. And I'm sure so many of our peers out there listening have had too. So we so appreciate you. I have a few final questions for you. You know, this podcast is by BIPOC, so Black, Indigenous, People of Colour, for BIPOC. So for you as a BIPOC founder, how has your culture helped or hindered you along the way? I think culture is just so deep-rooted in our communities. You just cannot break away from it. And I think there are more pros to cons to that. You know, at the end of the day, for us to flourish in what we're doing, we need a sense of community. We need a sense of belonging and nurturing to help us do what we do. And the fact that we're so kind of spiritually connected as well as connected in terms of families is so important to us. It really keeps us grounded and really kind of keeps our eyes on the prize and makes sure that we're doing things the right way. And it's like a moral compass, I would say. I think very, very important. And I'm so glad that we have that because I have definitely seen people struggle without it. It really gives you a sense of purpose and also a sense of belonging, according to me. Now, with that comes some norms that, you know, especially women tend to have to break. And for example, for me, I think in India, it's a big deal, or just in Indian communities. Culturally, it's important to get married and to be to have children at a certain age. And I'm just like, I'm raising a child already. For me, you know, paying so much attention to your career and focusing on that is just something that is unusual to most people, definitely changing, but just norms around women and cliches around what we can and we cannot do is usually questioned. And people have done this before us very successfully and kind of led a path for us where we are able to do what we are today. Other women have done that. So I think it's our job to then break some of these barriers ourselves for the next generation. So definitely some norms and cliche paths to work around, but I think holistically overall, it's really something that kind of gives you a sense of belonging and sense of purpose. Answered that so well. Look, Manavi, over the last five plus years since you started your company, since you started on your entrepreneurial journey, you've really gone from strength to strength. And amongst all of the challenges and the struggles that we face as entrepreneurs and that you faced in building your business, you've also received a lot of recognition for your work. And, you know, most notably, you were featured on the Forbes 30 under 30 list, which is how we found you. So what are three key pieces of advice that you would give our peers out there listening that you wish you got when you were just starting out? I would say one is be okay with not being accepted or not following a certain norm and you are good enough and you can kick ass and do amazing things. I think that's definitely one. Two is 
risk is not bad. Risk is good. I think having a risk appetite is important, especially when you're young. I mean, I see so many people saying, oh, you know, I need to do this job. I need to make X amount. And I'm just like, you need to experience life. You need to do a lot of things for you to then decide what you want to pick out of these options. So I think having that kind of mindset really helps. And I think get a mentor. For me, having a female mentor also is my co-founder and playing such an important role in my growth really was a really huge part of me being here today. So I think, yeah, I think these three things and enjoy the process. I think that's most important. So well said. Look, Madhavi, before I ask you the final question, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge you for the incredible work you've done and that you're doing, you know, for showing us young BIPOC and female entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs to be that if we have this vision, this goal and this dream, no matter what the roadblocks are that we come up against, and I'm sure there will be many, we can get there and we can make it happen as long as we problem solve. And for that, we really appreciate you. Uh, Thank you. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Of course. So the final question is how we finish every episode of Peers Podcast. And that is, what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? I would just say sense of purpose, just a sense of being able to do or really chase after something that drives you and you want to see that through. So yeah, just gives me purpose. Ah, I love it. Oh my love, it's been so great to have you on the show. Thank you so much. It's been awesome. Where can we learn more about you and Space Basic? Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure and it's amazing to share my journey with a fellow entrepreneur. So thank you so much for having me. And on all the usual mainstream social media, most responsive on LinkedIn, I would say, but also present on Instagram, Facebook, etc. We have our website, spacebasic.com. And we're also very present on LinkedIn and other social media channels. So you can look us up at, at spacebasic app. Amazing. We'll link them up in the show notes. Matt Havi, thank you so much again. And for everyone else listening, we will end with that. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Peers. If you're liking what we're doing here and resonate with our mission of amplifying BIPOC founder stories, please subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Also, head over to our Instagram and follow us. We're at The Peers Project. And you can connect with me personally on LinkedIn and Insta. I'm at Mish Echidinal. I adore you oh so very much, Peers. Until next time. <laughs>